Welcome to Narrative Responsibility, a podcast about examining the meta story of your life, how well it is serving you, and how to change it for the better. I'm Elena Wolf, relationship coach and life alignment mentor, and this is this week's new perspective. Hi there! I'm so glad you're here today. This is episode nine Consciousness as Non Euclidean Spacetime. This is part three of our little mini series on time, and I think it's going to be wrapping it up at least for a while. I may find other aspects of time as it relates to consciousness that I want to come back to later, but this is all I had on my whiteboard. So here we are for the last section. Today, I want to talk about some of the ways that our consciousness can distort our perception of time and make it feel, well, not subject to the normal laws of space-time. If you ever took geometry, you studied Euclidean geometry, even if they didn't call it that. Euclidean geometry begins with this premise. Three straight lines that come together to form a triangle have three angles that add up to 180 degrees. From that premise, we derive all sorts of other rules and principles, things that by necessity must be true if this immutable law of the physical world and mathematics is true. And as far as we can tell, this is, in fact, a descriptive law. It's not prescriptive in the sense that it's a theory that says things should be this way. Rather, it is descriptive in that it appears to show what the physical world does when we measure it. And when we put straight lines together in that particular way, no matter how many different ways we try to make a triangle, they always seem to have 180 degrees. Therefore, it kind of becomes a prescriptive law in that all the stuff that follows from it has to be true because this one is true. But that kind of initial starting point for Euclidean geometry is something that just seems to describe what is and the nature of what is. So in a Euclidean space, Time flows through it in a linear way at a regular pace, and this creates Euclidean spacetime. The laws that seem to govern Euclidean spacetime affect things like physics and calculus, as well as geometry. And as far as we can tell, this is the physical world that we live in and that our physical human bodies experience. But hypothetically, What if you had a space where three straight lines formed a triangle with an angle sum that was more than 180 degrees or less than 180 degrees? Well, by virtue of that space not adding up to 180 degrees, it would be a non-Euclidean space. And if we ran time through a non-Euclidean space, it would create a non-Euclidean space-time aka a place where time might not move along the established and predictable linearity of this physical world that we live in and our tools for measuring time in this physical world. 
Probably the closest popular media example to this idea is in Interstellar. Even though really it was using relativity and gravity, it at least captures the distortion effect. The whole one hour on that planet was seven years on Earth or or however the ratio went. So the example that I remember from my non-Euclidean geometry class back in college, and yes, this was absolutely a companion class to my theoretical physics course. God, I loved that program. Um, <laughs> I remember um, a diagram where we had two parallel segments of the same length, but one of them took more time to traverse. But because this was a non-Euclidean space and those segments were defined as being the same length, therefore it took the same unit of time to traverse them, time had to move at a different speed over one segment than the other. So this notion of time moving at different rates is, in my, in my humble opinion, actually a much better analogy to the human conscious experience of time than any of our empirical measuring tools. I mean, I get it. We can, we can define and measure time by the number of vibrations of a certain crystal, and it's perfectly standardized on a physical level, totally replicable and totally reliable. But how does it feel? I think we all know that time does not feel the same for us across all contexts and activities. Five minutes in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you are already late does not equal the five minutes it takes your favorite band to play your favorite song at a live concert does not equal the five minutes between the time the hospital board says surgery finished and the time the doctor comes out to tell you how it went does not equal the five minutes after your crush says, yes, they want to meet you for coffee, does not equal five minutes spent crying your heart out, does not equal five minutes of meditation. These are all the same length of time as measured by our empirical devices, but none of them are the same length of time as we experience them in our emotional conscious body. Can you think of any times when you experienced any or maybe all even of these time distortions? Time disappeared and hours passed in what felt like minutes. Time stretched or slowed down and you saw more than is normally possible, like the world was in slow motion around you. Time crawled by at this agonizingly slow pace and minutes felt like hours. You lost time. Maybe you were in some kind of fugue state where time passed and you clearly did things with that time, but later you couldn't recall any of them. Or you felt out of sync with time, like your body was moving somehow faster than the clock or or your head was moving faster than your body, like your mind was moving faster than your body and the real world. All of those are potential time distortions that our consciousness can experience. Some of them have names, and some of them are more just kind of states of being. 
A slow state is often considered to be where time speeds up relative to how you are experiencing it. Your sense of self tends to fall away and you have this sort of absorption in either the task that you're doing or just the moment at hand and you just forget that time even exists until something pulls you out of that state. If you have a mindfulness practice or have moments where you are simply being incredibly present to what is happening right around you, to the world around you, time can feel deep, maybe is the best way to explain it. It's like you get more from each moment. There's more richness and more fidelity because your attention is fully on the here and now rather than being split between its usual simultaneous past, present, future kind of orientation. If you're in a state of high adrenaline, time seems to slow down. It's not just that you're focusing, but you actually have neurochemical shifts that allow you to see and hear and process more information than usual. And so relative to the amount of information you can process normally in a given time, you feel like time must be slower because of how much information you're able to access and take in. If you have time gaps, fugue states, those can happen for a variety of reasons, but it's basically where your brain is not recording permanent memories. You might be in shock, either physical or emotional. It might be because of depression, grief, physical damage, such as a concussion, a chemically induced state such as alcohol that can definitely affect our ability to remember. I don't know if this quite counts as a fugue state, but I certainly experience something very similar when I hit kind of sensory overload and I have not had any time to process recent experiences. It's like all the RAM in my brain is in use and I have no more to store anything until I have some of what's in it already loaded into permanent files in my brain. So... I don't know, hooray being an introvert, but there is a point where reality stops being real. And I can tell that while I'm still conscious in the moment and interacting with it, I will not remember it because I am no longer capable of storing more memories until I've had a chance to decompress. All of these kind of distortions can happen as a result of shifts either in our neurochemistry or body chemistry our brainwave state, or the brain network or mode of thought that we're using. Like literally, if there are parts of our neocortex that we normally use and are not using, or don't normally use, but have, for whatever reason, tapped into in that moment, it can change our time perception. And at a really broad level, all of these time-distorting events represent altered states of consciousness. I don't want you to confuse the term altered state or altered state of consciousness as being synonymous with a drug-induced state, because it's not. It's really just anything besides our default mode network. It's anything besides the most commonly used style of thinking and brain networks that we have access to. Our default mode network is where we spend most of our waking time, and therefore that's going to be the place where our time sense 
is rooted. We have calibrated our interpretation of what five minutes feels like based on that default mode network and how we experience time from that type of consciousness. It's possible that all of these time distortions happen more just from a lack of calibration where we just haven't spent enough time in that specific altered state to be able to really feel through how five minutes feels in that state. But whatever the case, we as human beings are non-Euclidean consciousnesses that are forced to exist in and interface with a Euclidean physical reality where time flows one way, at one rate, always, even if we're not experiencing it that way. And it's weird. How do we cope? First, I think just having awareness of and exposure to altered states of consciousness can really help. Let's go back to our meta-narrative frames. If we understand that we have a variety of modes of consciousness, then if we find ourselves in one that's unusual or not like our normal, we won't automatically panic or feel uncomfortable. We can recognize and name the experience that we're having oh, I'm in an altered state of mind. We can try to anchor how those moments feel to some kind of objective measurement, if that makes us feel better, or we can simply let go into the experience and allow it to be what it is. When we have this framework of understanding in place, we can, we can be calm knowing that what we're experiencing might be unusual, but that doesn't make it abnormal. It's simply different than what we most commonly experience. Another way is to find ways that make us happy or that we find pleasant or pleasurable to anchor our consciousness into physical Euclidean space-time. This might be listening to music where we know songs are a certain length, so we can kind of keep ourselves anchored into that song or into that album. If you like perfume, you might be able to keep track of time based on what the notes of your sort of signature scent are doing. You know how long it takes it to start to dry down from the top notes to the kind of heart of it to where all that's left is, you know, whatever the the base is, whether that's powdery or ambery or woody or spicy, whatever you like. Maybe you look at how long a candle's been burning, or maybe you watch the sun. Maybe you can anchor physical time to your breaths. Maybe you count numbers or recite particular passages that you have memorized. If you know how long it takes you to recite your favorite poem, for example, if you're worried about how how time is passing relative to how you're experiencing it, just recite that poem, and then you have that measuring stick, right? You can tell, oh, it felt this long, but I know that's only 20 seconds or 60 seconds or, you know, whatever it is. And finally, if we can learn to deliberately shift in and out of these various non-Euclidean time distortions and to discern when one state or another of consciousness might be beneficial, then we have more empowerment to put ourselves in the state that we need in that moment. So let's take another look at the three ways that we can alter our state of consciousness and whether 
these are particularly manipulatable or not. The first is our neurochemistry. The second would be our brainwave state. The third would be our brain network. In terms of our brain network use, there's not really an obvious way to manipulate this. You might try to perform certain tasks in the hope that you'll get one part of your brain kind of kicked on, you know, kicked into gear. Sometimes that can work. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, but that's about the best you can do. And it's for most people out there who haven't done some kind of EEG scan, you're probably also just making a guess as to whether the task that you're trying to perform is actually going to engage that part of your brain. Um, you know, we, we have a map of the neocortex and we know roughly what types of cognitive tasks are assigned to each part of it, but human minds are also very adaptable. So it's always possible that you've come up with some alternative routing that uses three other parts of your neocortex in concert rather than using that one that most people use for whatever task we're talking about. So you know, worrying about what part of your brain you're engaging is not necessarily a particularly helpful way to shift out of, into or out of a particular state of consciousness. In terms of your neurochemistry, this is somewhat manipulable, but it's also somewhat beyond your control. On a neurochemical level, our brains run on hormones and neurotransmitters. Our body releases different ones in response to stimuli. This is a physical, biological fact, and it's not something that we necessarily have control over. We can't control whether our body is releasing like adrenaline and cortisol in response to something stressful or sudden. We can't necessarily control how much dopamine we have circulating or how much oxytocin or endorphins or any number of other neurotransmitter <laughs> neurotransmitters <laughs> and hormones. And the reasons that these get circulated or released into our bloodstream has to do with our body needs like hunger, thirst, exhaustion. It has to do with being in an upregulated state of nervous system stress or arousal or in a parasympathetic state of relaxation. It has to do with our emotions, and it can also have to do with the relationships and the people around us. You know, being held and having another person's presence with us, helping us co-regulate, can also release oxytocin, you know, the, the bonding chemical that makes us feel loved and connected. Obviously, some of this is within our control, like we can control whether we're sleep deprived or whether we ask someone to hold us, but some of it is completely beyond our control. We can also affect our body chemistry with things like breath work. There are practices that can shift the relationship of like oxygen to carbon dioxide to nitrogen and maybe other um, chemicals as well in your body, and that can affect our state of consciousness. Or we can use substances. This includes things like caffeine. You might not think of caffeine as being a psychoactive substance, but it absolutely is. And also, you know, the usual alcohol, marijuana, other drugs, psychedelics, psychotropics, 
legal prescription drugs that are stimulants or relaxants or depressants or painkillers. Like there are a wide variety of chemical substances that we can put into our body that help us shift our state of consciousness. And all of these are physical body chemistry changes. So they're not fully controllable. Even if we have done something to evoke it, we're not in control of when that ride ends. That's up to our metabolic processes to clear out those chemicals and get us back to our baseline. So brainwave states are actually the most manipulable and they don't necessarily cause a chemical change. And they're easier to shift in and out of because they're not bound to metabolizing chemicals in or out. It's simply the electric or electromagnetic pulses of our brain happening at a certain rate. There are five brainwave states we can recognize. From the deepest and slowest to the highest and fastest, these are delta, which correlates to sleep, theta, which correlates to a state of deep inner focus, like meditation, trance, hypnosis, even the liminal space between waking and sleeping, Alpha, which is an active but open state. You have a lot of outer world focus, but you're also very suggestible. Beta, which is our out and about in the world, getting stuff done kind of mode. There's an external focus and possibly even like anxiety or preoccupation about making sure that what we're trying to accomplish is what's happening. And finally, Gamma, which is correlated to creative focus, kind of eureka, uh, aha moments and inspirations, or very high intuition. Each of these is a different brainwave frequency. That is a different rhythm of brainwave repetition. And there's this cool thing called brain entrainment, where we can take an external pulse, whether that's audio, visual, possibly even felt sense, like somatic or touch, you know, touch driven. And if we have a long enough exposure to that rhythm, then our brain waves will sync to it. When that happens, our state of consciousness will shift into whatever brainwave state that rhythm corresponds to. So this type of rhythmic brain entrainment is a pretty fast and effective way to shift yourself into a different state of consciousness if the one you're in is not serving you well. I mean, what is it that you need? Do you need to rest? Do you need more calmness? Do you need to focus? Do you need to get hype and, you know, ready to be excited? There are music apps and sound atmosphere apps out there that are built around evoking certain moods, certain brainwave states. And, you know, they're usually pretty clearly labeled, listen, like, this is to relax, this is to focus, this is to meditate. So music is obviously one of our best tools for shifting our mood, but it's not the only one. Walking is also a rhythm. Breathing is a rhythm. Moving your body, whether we're talking sort of like stimming or full-on dancing, is a rhythm. The rustling of leaves or even the flickering light and shadow that that creates, that's rhythm. Rain, crackling fires, all of it, all of its rhythm. When you tune in, 
when you listen, when you allow your brain to sync with those rhythms around you to entrain, you were able to induce a different state of consciousness if that's what you need. Whether that's leading yourself out of a place you don't want to be, one of these time distortions, or leading yourself into one if the normal flow of time is just not what you need right now. Gosh, there is so much more I could say about the mental health benefits of altered states of consciousness and also the ethics of manipulating your state of consciousness and your body chemistry. But that's like a whole other topic and we'll go into it some other time. The main point that I want to make today is to acknowledge the disconnect between our physical linear experience of time and our in-the-moment perceptions of time. You know, as I said before, I think in the nonlinear time episode, we exist in these bodies that can only live out time in a linear way at a regular rate. But we have this consciousness that exists in a perpetual now and that also does not experience all nows in the same way. Not all nows are created equal. Who knew? Hopefully, Knowing more about our non-Euclidean nows can help you navigate them with more discernment and with less distress. So that's all for today. Thank you so much for spending this time with me. If you want to know more about my work, you can check out thepatternbreaker.com or follow me on Instagram at thepatternbreaker. And until next week, what part of your story are you going to take responsibility for? 